What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels or hopefully the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, for those of you out there who are longtime friends of the show or just started listening maybe this month, you have been along with me here on this journey through the year 1981. And now here's the big payoff. The big one. The top 10 albums of 1981, according to me, myself, and I, Joey, right here. We've got a couple of extra special guest stars on the show with their own lists on this episode. So it's a jam-packed show. It's going to be a lot of fun. So let's get right down to it. Coming in at number 10 is a personal favorite album of mine. Uh, as I say, like there's the, uh, there's the favorites and then there's the personal favorites. So for instance... I'd say, you know, like the best Stones album would probably be Sticky Fingers, but my personal favorite is Some Girls. So in this instance, my personal favorite Judas Priest album is Point of Entry, coming in here at number 10, produced by Tom Allen. Of course, uh, Tom, I I mentioned him before on the show, he produced uh, all the classic Priest albums. This album came out on February 26th of 1981. And I consider this to be in the upper echelon of their catalog. People seem to think it's a little bit of a dip after British Steel and and coming in right before Screaming for Vengeance. Those are both super strong albums. And I equally love this album to those albums and even Defenders. You know, Hellbent for Leather, Sin After Sin. I think this album belongs in that class. It is a great record. People will consider it to be like a pop album. But and it's catchy as hell. It's a super catchy record. But Priest always has written catchy songs for the most part. But this is a killer, killer record. Further proof right here. You know, I wanted to dive a little deep on this one. My initial gut reaction was to go with Hot Rockin' because that was the first song I heard from it. It used to be on heavy rotation in key rock back in the day. But I'm going to go with this one. A little bit deeper of a dive. Although this song did appear on the Metalworks double disc, which is a great comp. Uh, So yeah, it's still a deep cut though, and I think it gives further proof that this is a classic Judas Priest album, and one they used to play during the tour as well. I wish they still played it, but here you go, kicking off the show from Point of Entry. This is the Mighty Priest with Solar Angels.
off the show here today. That was Judas Priest with Solar Angels, a stylistic sequel, in my opinion, to Metal Gods, their classic song from the previous album, their British Steel. Definitely gives me a strong Metal Gods vibe. Nothing wrong with that. It's definitely not a poor man's sequel. Very cool track. And man, you know, I keep going on about how much I love this album. If you're out like in the southwest area of the United States or any place where it's kind of like desert land, you know, a little dry, a little extra hot, this is the perfect road trip album to do that kind of driving in. I've done it myself, actually. So yeah, point of entry, killer stuff right there. Coming in at number nine, another classic artist and a true icon. Still miss this guy, Prince. With an album he put out on October 14th of 1981. Of course, self-produced, self-composed, self-everything. Played all the instruments on it with very little exception. Man, and what can be said more about the man? Controversy. This was really the Bridge Gap album between Dirty Mind and 1999. You had to put this record out to put out 1999. This, I don't want to say eased people into the kind of records he was going to make. This is definitely a hard-hitting album lyrically and everything else it definitely challenged the most conservative of his fan base i don't know how there would be but maybe this filtered out some people but it didn't hurt his career none and of course the next year he'd put out the massive 1999 record as i mentioned but don't sleep on controversy it it is what it says it is the lyrics are still biting and still hard-hitting and the music just soars it's great I was tempted to do the title track. I actually kind of prefer the single edit version. I know that's blasphemy, but so, you know, I'm not going to play the album version. It's kind of has a weird tangent there in the middle. So I'm going to go with this one right here. This is also very apropos to give you an idea of what the rest of the album is about. So here you go. Continuing on here, coming in at number nine of the best albums of 1981, the controversy album by Prince. This is a killer right here. The second track on the album, fitting. This is Sexuality.
They look at life through a pocket camera. What? No flash again? They're all a bunch of double drags to teach the kids that love is bad. Half of the staff of their brain is on vacation. Mama, are you listening? Children watch television until they know how to read Or else all they'll know how to do is cuss, fight, and bleed No child is bad from the beginning They only imitate their atmosphere right there with sexuality from controversy killer killer stuff of course it is it's in the top 10 and like i said before any album that made this list all 81 records are all definitely worth your time and worth checking out and you know you could tell right there you know if you are familiar with prince's output especially from the early early 80s then you recognize that he was doing a big hybrid of funk and new wave and, and things such as that bringing that in there you can hear it and this next band in my opinion really defines the new wave new romantic movement uh, that came out of europe in the early 80s and started in the late 70s but and i really think the band that kind of influenced all of them you know besides obvious people like bowie and t-rex definitely roxy music really got the art scene interested in this kind of music in my opinion Bowie was like the Elvis and Roxy was kind of the Beatles of the new romantic movement, you know. So, and this band, I think, is kind of like the next wave that got this whole thing started up again and made it even more commercial and more accessible. And also, paralleling a lot of classic bands, it wasn't uncommon for a band to really hit their stride on their third release. And this band definitely did. There was a changing of the guard, sort of akin to Brian Eno leaving Roxy Music and them creating more commercial, more broad-based music. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. When Phil Oakey took over for the Human League, they did the exact same thing. They embraced more song-structured type things, a little less artsy, but still cool enough for everybody to like it, no matter which side of the fence you leaned on. Uh, but for me, yeah, this album, Dare, that came out on October 16th of 1981 is a perfect pop album. It's a perfect new wave album, whatever you want to call it. I consider it a perfect album. And that's just how I feel. If you, quote unquote, like this kind of music, this is one of the best albums of all time. And, you know, like I said, the States really picked up on the Human League because they broadened their horizons, basically, in a sense. And, you know, Don't You Want Me, big song and everything. And if you like that song, you definitely should check out the rest of the album. The rest of the album got, like, zero love 
on radio and MTV in the States. But everything on that album is pretty much just as good and just as accessible. So that's really the thing that makes this a perfect album. It's not just a one-song pony. Uh, further proof, this one right here. This was a single that was released for it. Probably more so in Europe than anywhere else. But it's a great one. So here you go. This is The Human League with Love Action. Okay, pop music. Let's go. <laughs> Anyone here like The Human League? Okay. I've had my hard times in the past I've been a 
Alright, Human League right there with Love Action, I Believe in Love in parentheses, from the perfect great album Dare. I'm such a nerd for that album that I actually have a Spanish pressing of it on vinyl in addition to my regular pressing. It's not Spanish language, it's just got Spanish words all over the art and all the lyrics are written in Spanish. and It still plays well, like it's a good backup, it's really cool actually, but yeah, there's... There's no reason for me to really own it other than the fact that I love it so much. So you got to have got to have two copies of your favorite albums of all time, right? It's not just me. I'm sure another guy who would agree with me is is another guy that kind of like the next entry and this previous entry. He kind of goes between both genres, both new wave and heavy metal, and a lot of places in between. Is your friend of mine a true alternative, Mr. Randy Brown? He's going to come in here and he's going to give off a list of his favorite albums of 1981 can't wait to hear it this is a first listen for me so yeah take it away randy hey joey it's your old pal randy here from the synaptic empire audio transmissions you can hear those sporadically here on the cnjradio.com network joey's asked me to come on and talk to you about my favorite records of 1981 and congratulations on a fantastic massive series that you've done here i'm getting this in just under the wire so hopefully i'm going to get it on the show i'm not quite sure anyway he had asked me to talk about my favorite records in 1981 fortunately i didn't see any of these tours because i was too young so this will be short and i'm not going to bore you with uh with concert stories uh anyway going back and, and revisiting 1981 and looking at the releases that came out pretty uh pretty incredible year honestly I'm not very good at going back and revisiting records from the past. This is just at like the cusp of me starting to buy records and getting into music. So these are the ones that I've actually gone back and, and, and revisited over the years and I've gotten into over the years. I have a top 12 because that's the way the Synaptic Empire audio transmissions go. We do 12 every time. At one point I tried to do 20 and that was just way too much. Way too many songs. I'm sure that Joey uh, pulled his hair out whilst editing those. But here we go. Here are the, my honorable mentions for the year. ACDC, for those about to rock, actually have a story about that. I was censored from buying that at Hastings when I was a kid. Uh, although I already had Dirty Deeds, Highway to Hell, and Back in Black, the clerk told my mom, no, that is too dirty. I will not sell it to him. And in turn, I had to pick up Queen's Greatest Hits, which could be where I have my disdain for Queen today. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> um, we also have here Black Flag Damaged, The Cars Shake It Up, Phil Collins Face Value, The Cramps Psychedelic Jungle, the self-titled Duran Duran album, Heaven Up Here from Echo and the Bunnymen, Genesis with Abacab, Iron Maiden Killers. I am a huge Iron Maiden fan, but honestly, I am not the biggest Diano era fan. I do like them. I like the singles and the, st and the songs that have made it on past. And I do like those records, but they are not my favorite Iron Maiden work. Craftwork, Computer World, New Order, Movement, the first record that they came out with after Joy Division, after uh, Ian Curtis had passed away, had taken his life. Public Image Limited, Flowers of Romance, if you want to talk post-punk and trying to uh, really wrap your head around something, there's a record for you. Talk, talk, talk from the Psychedelic Furs. Pleasant Dreams from the Ramones. Susie and the Banshees, Juju. 
The teardrop explodes with Wilder. And lastly, wrapping up the honorable mentions, we have X, more fun in the real world. So let's get to the top 12 here. Coming in at number 12, we have straight out of here, straight out of my town, Fort Worth, the Fort Worth Cats with Earthquake at the OK Corral. Ran across that record randomly one day at Docks about 10 or 12 years ago, and I just could not believe that I was running across it. Uh, at 11, we have Controversy by Prince. 10, Ozzy Osbourne, Diary of a Madman. Such a great record, and then it ends with that just amazing title track, which is probably my favorite Ozzy song, period. Uh, number 9, uh, actually a song that I heard for the first time, it's one of those things where the band, the album title, and the song are all the same. Ice House, out of Australia. The album is Ice House, uh, coming in at number nine. But the first time I ever heard them was the song Ice House on George Gamark's Rock and Roll Alternative back in 1986. Number eight, we've already mentioned them a minute ago, Closer by Joy Division. Brilliant record. Number seven, Thompson Twins, product of... If you've never listened to those first couple of Thompson Twins records, this and Set, they're really interesting listens. You should go back. And I've actually played a couple of tracks from those on the audio transmissions. You should go back and listen to those, too, where you can hear them all on cnjradio.com. Plug there. <laughs> Number six, this is actually something I was into at the time. The next couple are actually records I was into in 1981. Paradise Theater by Styx. Loved it. Those singles are huge. And number five, Foreigner 4. Try to beat those singles again. Just incredible, incredible records. Uh, number four, Ace of Spades from Motorhead. What can I say about that? Number three, my favorite police record, Ghost in the Machine. Fantastic. Number two, let's kick up the gloom, the cure with faith. So gloomy. So, God. It's beautiful. It is absolutely a beautiful record. And number one, no surprise here and should be no shock to anybody, U2 with their sophomore release, October. That's it. I'm going to wrap up and get out of Joey's hair and let him finish up this fantastic 1981 wrap-up show that he's doing. Wrap-up show? I guess it is. I think this is going to be on the, on the number one show. So there you go. Joey, thank you, as always, for asking me to do this. I'm so sorry it took me so long to get it to you. Guys, enjoy the rest of Rock Strikes 10, and I'll see you all very, very soon on new episodes of the Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions. Thank you all again. Bye. Thank you very much for doing that here for us at Rock Strikes 10, Randy. And, of course, here's a bonus plug. Go listen to the Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, currently available and always available on cnjradio.com get into it for sure a uh, couple of things that actually came out of that list in my head so i am going to respond to a few of those entries because i'm putting most of this on me so this is not me attacking randy's list although i will say ace of spades did come out technically towards the end of 1980 but, you know, most of its run was through the year 1981. So I'm not going to say that that's an invalid entry. It's not on my countdown, and that's why I wanted to mention that. Why is it not there? Because I'm going by, like, technical release dates. Like I said, great list, Randy. The other thing that you had on your list, and this is very embarrassing for me because I did this, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. I screwed up really badly 
on the 1990 album's countdown last year. I really fucked up. So I might have mentioned this already, but just in case I didn't, there was an album that definitely should have made it at least in the top 20, if not the top 10. And I just completely left it off because I just forgot to bring it over. And there's so many albums that I'm discussing and, you know, doing data for and picking songs for that I, I just didn't even realize it wasn't on the list. And it sounds like I did it on purpose, but I really didn't. It's just a matter of me just forgetting and being forgetful. So on the 1990 list, I left off Violator by Depeche Mode, and that should have been in the upper echelon for sure. And in this instance, another album that should have been at least in the top half of the countdown this uh, year for 1981 was Duran Duran's first album, the self-titled. I, I did not play it on any of these shows, but it should have been on the countdown. So basically just take off music from The Elder and put in Duran Duran's first album somewhere there in the middle of the countdown. Okay, that all being said, the next album we're going to discuss is an album that appeared in Randy's Also Mentions, and my number seven album, this album came out on February 2nd of 1981, produced by the now late great Martin Birch. This album actually was being recorded supposedly in the same studio in different rooms, but at the same time as the Samson album that was earlier here on this countdown. But the fun fact about that is obviously they would wind up using Samson's lead vocalist as their new lead vocalist after this record. So yes, of course, I am talking about Iron Maiden and their sophomore record and final record with singer Paul Diano, Killers. This is a killer record for sure. It's a classic heavy metal record. Not much else to say here. I'm going with one of the super obvious songs on there, but this song never fails to get me going. It is an absolute metal classic. And this song broke Logan when I went to go see the Iron Maiden reunion in 1999. It was like the third or fourth song, and it just killed him. It killed all of us. It was great. So I always have a great memory of this song. So turn it up. This is Wrathchild.
right, a mega scorcher right there. Wrath Child by Iron Maiden. Up the Irons. Killers, of course, you gotta have it. Man, just listen to that song. Diano and Clive Burr. Just amazing dudes. And they really helped make that record. Even more equally impressive that they were able to replace both of those people and managed to not only keep at it, but get bigger somehow. Crazy craziness. But definitely the exhibit A of a band evolving in a sense of, you know, they, they made the right moves. And in hindsight, they look like geniuses. I'm sure at the time it seemed very strange that they were making those moves. But if they hadn't, they would not have become the stadium band that they are now. So big ups to Iron Maiden, another band that is still doing very well, still playing shows. And I go see him every time because I just I have fun when I go see him. It's basically the same set list, but I dig it. I wish they would bring this song out again, and we'll talk about that in a second. But of course, the uh, the the old guy statement of saying that this is their best album. I don't know if it's their best album. It's up there for sure. It's definitely in let's say the top three, just for argument's sake. Uh, but this album came out on July eleventh, nineteen eighty one. It was the sophomore album by Sheffield England's own Def Leppard. Yeah, man, High and Dry is a killer classic hard rock record. And I like to pick on the old guy fans of this album that say this is their best album. They didn't do anything good after that. That's stupid. To discount Pyromania and Hysteria is absolutely stupid and short-sighted. But that shouldn't take away from my enjoyment of High and Dry. Like I said, it is a great classic rock album. Everybody should own it. And it contains some of my favorite Def Leppard songs of all time. They still do play High and Dry and Let It Go and Bring It On The Heartbreak uh, when you go see them live. But like I said, they should still be playing this one. This is absolutely one of my favorite, favorite Def Leppard songs. If not my favorite, ah, I say Fulan's probably still my favorite. But this one's top three. Uh, written by the late, great Steve Clark, my favorite member of the band, this song is further proof of the true riffmeister that he was. He wrote some of the best riffs of all time. So here you go. Extra special tribute here to Stephen Steve Clark and Def Leppard. And coming in at number six on the top albums of 1981, this is Mirror Mirror, Look Into My Eyes. <laughs>
coming in at number six of the top 81 albums of 1981. That was Def Leppard and their second album, High and Dry. That song, of course, was Mirror, Mirror, Look Into My Eyes. Great stuff right there. Like I said, one of my favorite, favorite Def Leppard songs ever. Probably my favorite after Fulton, if I had to say. All right. Now we're into the top five right here. I don't need no stinking notes for this one. This one's easy. This is one of my favorite bands of all time. It was their fourth release. It did, of course, come out in 1981. I'll pull the date here while we're playing the song. This is definitely the hardcore fan favorite album of the initial run. And a favorite of mine, Billy Corgan's favorite album by this band, Van Halen. Yes, the Fair Warning record. It is considered to be their heaviest album. Although I would argue that the style and overall heaviness is equal to women and children first. I think I said that on my Van Halen Rock and Rank special. I think people truly just judge it by the album cover because I really do think women and children first and fair warning are pretty neck and neck as far as overall heaviness goes. But you know, it's got that neat artsy album cover and you can't quite tell what's going on. It's this weird abstract kind of looking painting, but it's still cool. It's still Van Halen. It's still Dave and Eddie and Alex and Mikey and they're in full center swing right here. And yeah, that's what we're going to play here. So to represent the Fair Warning album, this is one of the greatest American bands of all time, possibly just behind the Beach Boys, or possibly Tide. This is Van Halen with Sinners Swing. <laughs> So fucking good, so sexy and 
And you talk about a band that really perfected what I call the hard rock boogie, Van Halen, Center Swing from Fair Warning. That album came out on April 29th of 1981, produced by the great Ted Templeman. And you should definitely go pick up Greg Rinoff's book about Ted Templeman. Greg Rinoff, friend of the show. You'll learn some really cool, fun facts about that guy. Get a little bit of Van Halen insight on those initial records. And, you know, fun facts. By the way, here's a fun fact. Unchained, that guy that says, come on, Dave, give me a break. That was Ted Templeman. All right. We are now into album number four of the top 81 albums of 1981. This is definitely an important record historically, and I think it's a super quality record. I feel like it doesn't get talked about too much as being a great rock album. I think more people like to talk about the culture and overall response of this record. But it is so good, and I love how hybrid it is. And hybrid is not a word that is used very often for this act. But this band was completely a self-made band initially. Uh, talking about Motley Crue. Now, you know, you, you've probably seen the movie that's not very historically accurate. Or, uh, you know, read the book. Or, you know, just heard the stories and the legends. And there's a lot of legends about this band. Of course, when the legend becomes fact, you, you print the legend. But I will say... We know this to be true for sure. Everything else is a great story. But Motley Crue released their first album themselves, completely independent, on November 10th of 1981. The album was called Too Fast for Love, self-produced initially. They put it out on their own label called Leather Records, with the umlaut above the U. Of course, of course it is. So... The release of this, and this is why this technically makes it in 1981, uh, you know, even though, of course, I wasn't around to go pick this up in, on the streets of Los Angeles. And not that very few people did, because the album sold so well as an independent release that all the labels that have rejected them initially all came calling. So they signed to Elektra. The album gets remixed and re-released the next year in 1982. So I guess technically you could call the re-release an 82 release, but I'm counting Too Fast for Love as a record from 1981, and I'm counting the Leather Records version here on this countdown. So from a technical standpoint, that's what we're talking about here. It's cool to go back and, and hear this record. I, of course, lived with the remixed Electra 82 version for years and years and years and years because, you know, I didn't grow up with the internet. A lot of us old guys didn't. But uh, once those two volumes of box that they put out, uh, Music to Crash Your Car By or whatever it's called, Volume 1 actually has both releases on there in full. And I dig that because it's definitely valid to own both copies because the mix does sound quite different and there's little differences uh, on the Leather Records versus the Electra Records version. All musical nerdiness aside, this is a great record on the surface. It is a beautiful mix of what would become... American pop glam metal. I hate the term hair metal. Uh, there are punk elements in here. There are, you know, just trashy elements in here. It's everything that is awesome and super ugly about rock and roll. And, you know, in the great tradition of Kiss and the Dolls and, and Alice Cooper and the Sweet. And there, like I said, there's some sugary bubblegum pop on this record in addition to the punk rock and hard rock leanings. So I love it. Hopefully you love it out there and sticking true to the technicality of this being a 1981 release, the original release, I'm going to play an obvious song, but maybe you haven't heard this version yet and you will hear the differences if you're familiar with this song. So listen closely. 
I am, of course, going to play one of the great track ones of all time, one of the great album openers ever. This is, of course, Livewire. Turn it up. those applause breaks not super odd there at the end like i just want the space give me the space because it it rocks way more without it but it's still a great song hopefully you heard some of the other little differences in there and you know of course if you go pick up that version that box set that has the original leather records mix on there if you could find an original pressing or one of the initial three pressings on leather records on vinyl then of course pm me because i i need that in my life I, i don't know why they don't have that out. They're just leaving money on the table right now. But anyway, Too Fast for Love, Livewire, 
the crew, of course, very choice, as they would say. Moving on here to number three, a band that is closely associated to Motley Crue, although it's not always positive, and that's definitely an understatement. But And I'm not just doing this on principle, although I did enjoy putting them above Motley in a sense. It is a band I believe are true innovators. They're a little bit new wave and a little bit hard rock, and they should have been huge. I know people like to say that about their favorite bands, but this band definitely should have been huge. They got ripped off by so many bands, even more so than some of the other great trailblazing acts that really defined the sound of the 80s, like at the Angels and, and stuff like that. Uh, but Hanoi Rocks, man, just one of my all-time favorite bands. And all their records are great. They don't have a bad record. Even their comeback records are freaking excellent. They put out their debut album on February 26th of 1981, Self-produced, basically, because it's credited to guitarist Andy McCoy and singer Michael Monroe. They are billed as the Muddy Twins. Nice little tribute to the Glimmer Twins and the Toxic Twins, you know, the stuff like that. But yeah, the album is called Bangkok Shocks, Saigon Shakes, Hanoi Rocks. It is just a pleasure to listen to this record. I'm surprised it's not number one. Uh, I... I, I, I I gotta say, I think really like the top five, they're, they're all tied for one, honestly. Uh, but, you know, that's just kind of what I was feeling the day that I put this list together. I'm making a bit of an excuse here. This song that I'm going to play to represent the album was technically the only single released from the record. So obviously anybody that was in charge of things thought if someone hears this song, they would buy the record. I still feel that way about it. And I'm still going to go with it. I've played this on the show before. Matter of fact... Here are some fun trivia for you. This was the first song I ever played on the first episode of Rock Strikes 10. So it's only fitting that I bring it up again from a great, perfect album. Bangkok Shocks, Saigon Shakes, Hanoi Rocks. This is, of course, Hanoi Rocks with Tragedy.
first song from their first album that was Hanoi Rocks with Tragedy from the Bangkok Shocks Saigon Shakes Hanoi Rocks record. If you're a CD guy, you want to pick up this killer box set. It's like the complete studio albums, 1981 through 1984. It's got their initial releases on there. I think it's called Lightning Bar Blues. I'm not sure, but it's got those initial albums. Or if you're a vinyl guy, there's a box set out called Strange Boys Box, I believe. And it's got all those initial albums as well. Must owns. And from what I understand, still pretty affordable. So don't sleep on it. Don't wait till it's out of print. Get it. All right. So we're almost to the top two albums, which, like I said before, these these are kind of all tied for first. But before we do that, and I said at the beginning of the episode, guest stars as in plural. So we got one more to go here. So here we go. The host of the I Am Vinyl podcast. This is Pete LaRussa with his favorite albums of 1981. Take it away, Pete. What's up to all the listeners of the Rock Strikes 10 podcast? This is Pete LaRussa from the I Am Vinyl podcast. And the great host of this podcast has asked me to provide my top 10 albums of 1981. So for Joey and for all the listeners here, here is my top 10 albums of 1981. But first, I gotta add a little top 10 countdown reverb. Okay, that sounds good. Can't have a top 10 countdown without a little old school reverb. And so let's get this started. And I'm gonna keep my reasons for my choices as short as possible. At number 10 is The Who with Face Dances. The Who were very influential on me at a very young, early age. And so as decades have gone on and I've gotten older, this has been an album that I've revisited a lot more. So it is my number 10 choice. And following it at number 9 is Judas Priest with Point of Entry. Or as the late, great Art Carney might have pronounced it, Pernt. Of entry. And basically the reason for that one is this is an album that I've found myself listening to a lot over the past few decades, and it's one of my go-to Judas Priest albums. So therefore, I have placed it at number nine. Following it at number eight is Ozzy Osbourne's second solo album, Diary of a Madman. What else can you say other than it's just a great follow-up to already a great debut album with Randy Rhodes, and unfortunately this was Randy Rhodes' final album with Ozzy. Therefore, its inclusion at number eight is necessary for me. Following it at number seven is The Police with Ghost in the Machine. And like I said with The Who, The Police were definitely very influential on me at a very young, early age, since my brother was listening to them a lot, and I was definitely there a lot of times while he was listening to those police tapes like Ghost in the Machine and Zenyatta Mandata. At number six is Motley Crue's first album, Too Fast for Love. There was a point in my life when I was around 12 or 13 years old where practically all I was listening to was Motley Crue, and this was definitely one of my top go-to albums, so therefore I've placed it at number six. Following it at number five, is Van Halen and Fair Warning. And this is just one of those albums that I've revisited and listened to a whole lot more over the past few decades, and especially in more recent years. So 
Therefore, I am placing it at number five on my top ten of 1981. And following it at number four is Rush with Moving Pictures. Again, it's like, what else can you say? Uh, Rush is one of my all-time favorite bands, a, a huge influence, definitely one of my earlier influences as I was becoming more of a music fan in the late 80s, and especially later on as I started getting into drums. Not like I could ever play like Neil Peart, but he was certainly a big influence on me. And coming in at number three is Kiss with Music from the Elder. So anyone who listens to the I Am Vinyl podcast knows that I am a huge Kiss fan, and so that really shouldn't surprise very many people that this is my number three choice of 1981, but it is one of my top five go-to Kiss albums still to this day, so therefore I've decided to place it at number three on my top ten albums of 1981. Following it at number two is the second album by Iron Maiden, Killers. And so again, really simply put, Iron Maiden has also been one of my huge favorite bands over my lifetime and a, a big influence as far as being a music fan and a musician. And it was actually the very first Iron Maiden album that I ever heard in its entirety when I borrowed a friend's cassette around the age of 13. So therefore it is my number two album of 1981. And so now here we go. The number one album for Pete LaRussa of the I Am Vinyl podcast for 1981. And that album is High and Dry by Def Leppard. As I mentioned before with Motley Crue, there was a point where practically all I was listening to for a while was Def Leppard and constantly watching home video, Historia, and anything else that I had. And High and Dry has always been one of my top favorite Def Leppard albums. And still to this day, it's definitely my top three as far as my go-to Def Leppard albums, along with On Through the Night and Pyromania. So when Joey asked me to put this top ten together, it was pretty easy to determine this one as my number one favorite album of 1981. So that's it for me. going to send things back to Joey, and thank you very much for asking me to provide my top 10 of 1981. And thank you to everybody for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks again for that, Pete. And a little programming note, uh, request I got from Pete LaRussa is, uh, you know, he'd been listening to the countdown as he was sending in the list. And because of the delayed release in the States, he initially was not considering Minute Works Business as Usual to be an album from 1981, as once again, it did more here in the States in 1982 with a release here due to its international success. And if you did hear the episode he was on his Desert Island list, and you should, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. That is one of his top 10 Desert Island records. So obviously it would have made the list here otherwise. So I figured he would appreciate me bringing that up because we had a little conversation about that. But yes, let's move on here. Finishing up the show, the last two songs and the last two records we're going to talk about, I, I consider these to be neck and neck, tied. I can't choose between the two. Even upon their releases, these two albums were at war. I am here to call for peace. I am here to call for appreciating both equally. 
and just loving that we got these two wonderful acts in 1981 to put out these two classic records. Since you've heard these mentioned on some other lists, I think you know where I'm going with this. We're going to close off the show with two amazing songs from two amazing records, the top two slots here for the top 81. From 81, we're going to start off with some Ozzy Osbourne and finish up with some Black Sabbath. Enjoy this, and I know you will.
Now that to me is absolutely one of my all-time, all-time favorite Black Sabbath songs. and One of my favorite songs of all time, Falling Off the Edge of the World from Black Sabbath. Of course, with the late, great Ronnie James Dio and vocals right there. You basically just heard a twofer starting off with Ozzy Osbourne, a, a great underrated ballad from his sophomore solo album, Diary of a Madman. That was Tonight, of course, followed by Falling Off the Edge of the World by Black Sabbath. So some fun facts here. So Mob Rules comes out on November 4th of 1981. It was produced by Martin Birch. We talked about him a couple of times on this countdown. He was great. And then three days later, Diary of a Madman comes out, produced by Max Norman and Ozzy and Randy. So, I mean, like I talked about these albums being neck and neck and then being at war, basically, in a sales war and what have you jockeying for position amongst the metal fans you know and, and there was room for both i don't understand the need for that kind of a you know rivalry but i you know i understand it's it's ex-band members and all that kind of shit but they're just so great the fact that two five-star classic metal albums came out in the same week i think that's so super cool and you got to hear them right here on rock strikes 10 as well Hope you enjoyed this entire countdown, the whole 81 from 81, including the 19 odds and ends. If you didn't listen to those, go back and listen to those as well. It's been a fun 10 episodes, but I'm definitely looking forward to a little bit of a break here from a countdown, although I am already in the midst of getting ready for the top albums of 1991. Yes, that is definitely going to happen. You're going to get some old school episodes between now and then. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of here and I'm going to go rest. I'm going to go take a nap <laughs> with my cats. So speaking of all that and speaking of the cats and I'm going to send you over here to the real ruler of the cats, my better half, my favorite person in the entire world here to deliver the plugs. And of course, preceding the greatest outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away. Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, our new kittens Ruby and Ripley get a treat. We're on Twitter at RockStrikes10 and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going back all the way to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. Talking Rock with Joey and the great Mark Streakel of Talking Metal. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRusa and occasionally Joey. Last but not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRusa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent you. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. <laughs>